I, I think more people would have uh, acknowledged that they were from Indiana or Illinois, but they were ashamed. I think. I, I did too, but I, I think there was an element I felt it in the spirit. Just downright shame. I want to say something about Brother Rodenbush and Sister Rodenbush, but more, more specifically, Brother Rodenbush. Every step of the way, he has outgrandpawed me. When we, oh, I'm telling you, we were in Toronto, and you know, we just got word that the baby was about to be born, and he just dashed out of the boardroom and ran to the airport, and I was two hours later before I could get. And so he was already there, but. Fortunately, we got to share the moment together, so that was pretty special. I don't see how these modern mothers do it. There's a whole family in there in delivery, and I'm going, I don't think I should be here. But, that's more than I wanted to see, I want to tell you. I kind of like the old way where we just paced around in the waiting room and had coffee, and then they brought the thing out. That's the way that went. But we sure have enjoyed that experience. And I want to say thanks to Brother Rodenbush. I've uh, had a mutual, I guess we've had mutual admiration. I know I've certainly admired him over the years and his work and efforts and all that kind of good stuff. And it's good to be with the Bucklands and um, to be here with all of you. And uh, it is an honor and a delight to have a chance to, to talk to you. And I am aware that you have a busy day, so I'll not... Uh, I'll not go very long. I have a little philosophy. I think uh, the people that come from uh, a long ways to speak to you should be controversial, just to make it interesting. I, uh, otherwise, it's kind of like, okay. Um, so I'm going to try to be as controversial as I dare be, and then maybe uh, maybe give you something to talk about. You can talk about me the rest of the day if you get what a beautiful place. I am like knocked out and pressed. Just the location and then this beautiful building. Isn't it amazing what the Lord has done in the Czech Republic? So that is a great thing. You know, missionaries, we have... Um, I don't, now, this is an opinion. Is it okay if I give opinion? And, and you, don't have to re, you don't have to accept... Uh, Everything I say as being the gospel is just—I'm just a person like all of you, and I have opinions. And and um, the older I get, the more uh, the more uh, bold I am in expressing them. It doesn't mean they're any more appreciated, but I, I'm just a little bolder in expressing them. But I think we have a we have two elements, and um, most of you are from North America, so I'll kind of address that for a moment. But uh, in North America, I think we have really two levels of. Uh, and this is an oversimplification, as it always is. But we, we, we kind of have the uh, more older structured uh, operations. Uh, pastors have been around a while. Uh, almost easy street, in a way, for some of those churches. And if you're not careful, you'll look at that and think that uh, there's kind of uh, this utopia gravy road in North America. And there is a certain level. But there's another level of really dedicated, devoted young men and women who are taking chances, going into metros, who are building churches, and really having revival. There's a tremendous explosion of revival. And you have to be careful that you don't look to the old places like Indiana and Illinois to find revival. Because some of those 
<laughs> Some of those fields, there's no reflection on anybody, but it's just that there's a huge shift in America and in in the values of America, to say the least, and a huge shift in uh, the population and the economy and all of that, and it affects revival. You know, you go to all these growth seminars, you know, you've got to do this, got to do that, you know. And it's nice also to be in a town where the people aren't leaving, uh, which is an element that they never bring into play. It's nice to be someplace where they're not shutting down factories and closing up all the operations because you have these huge drains of talent and especially youth. We call it the brain drain. In some cases, it's just plain drain. Brains and, and brainless people as well. And if you pastor, I'm telling you, brainless people help as well. Thank God. Warm bodies in a building is a good thing. Let's try it the other way. So you do, you do kind of have a... I think you've, you have a certain kind of uh, thing in North America where people are just kind of benefiting from the historical dynamics of a revival of past generations. And uh, those are the pastors you, you sometimes get frustrated with, I know, as missionaries, because it seems like they could give more, and they could, and they don't. It seems like they could be more concerned, and they're not. And we see sometimes, uh, all due respect, but sometimes you see people living a little bit higher than they ought to be living when the world is, as we say, going to hell in a handbasket. And all of us get frustrated with that. But don't forget, when you get... That page turned over. There's another page of tremendous dedicated people who are uh, really giving a lot and sacrificing a lot to build up the kingdom. So we do have revival in North America. But here's, I would suspect, I don't know this, I'm just guessing. But I would suspect that sometimes, I know I feel this even if I'm in Africa or South America or here in Europe. Even for one day I start feeling nobody knows where I'm at. I like I'm forgotten is an immediate sense of of loneliness. Yes, thank you. That's the right word of separation. And imagine living over here. If you have roots in Canada and have roots in the U.S. or wherever and you come here, you must feel the tremendous weight of that, the pain of that, perhaps the sorrow even of just kind of being over here. Does anybody know that I'm here? And it's not about it's not altogether about people putting money in your account. That's only a part of it. But you wonder if they really know about the blood, the sweat, and the tears, and the sacrifices that you're making. And I, I would guess that you wonder about that sometimes. I know I wonder about that in my own setting, and I'm very visible. But I feel sorry for myself sometimes because I feel like people don't know. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen, folks. As a matter of fact, I, I, I've been so stressed lately. I appreciate what Brother Kraft said. He said he thinks you have to have... A lot of pain uh, before you can connect. Well, if that's the criteria, I should really hook up with you people here today. Because <laughs> I have had some pain. As a matter of fact, I've been under so much stress lately that I dreamed last night nightmare. And when I tried to share this morning, this dream, this nightmare at breakfast with brother uh, and sister Enos and sister Mooney, Mickey thought that I was kidding. But I had a nightmare last night in which my staff had a shootout. <laughs> Shotguns, everything. And the good news is I was the only one that survived. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the psychology and psychiatry uh, of self-survival is a beautiful thing. Bless God, I will make it. It's kind of like, have you ever fantasized? I know this is... Uh, 
this sounds dark, but have you ever fantasized about what if this plane crashes and you always figure out a way that thank you for being honest. You always figure out a way that you are going to make it. And way back in the back of that nasty little mind of yours, you can see the headlines the next day. Pentecostal preacher and his wife are the only two people to survive horrible plane crash. And you imagine how that's going to launch my ministry right there. So, you know, I, I, I know about stress. <laughs> so I, 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 I imagine sometimes you, you feel disconnected. But now here's the truth. Here is the real, honest, hard-nosed truth. That historians, should, we, should the Lord tarry, Every generation thought it was going to be the generation that the Lord came. And it doesn't matter whether the Lord comes in this generation or not in terms of our conviction and our message. Because we know we're right. We know we're preaching the truth. And God has his own timetable and agenda. So we serve our generation, right? You can't serve generations past and you can't serve generations future. So here we are trapped in our own little time warp. So when historians, if it should ever happen, they pick up. The uh, desire, ambition to write the history of this age. Uh, it will not be the North American pastors who've inherited a lot of assets and a lot of opportunities who will be the heroes. But it will be you. Now, you may think, oh, no, he's just saying. No, no, I'm, that's really true. The people who in the past 25 and 30 years and 40 years have had the courage and the faith to come into a place that people said revival will never happen in Europe. But it is happening. It's happening here. Czech Republic, a church in the Czech Republic, right off the old town square. Who would have thunk it? And yet here we are. Not just a church, but an apostolic Pentecostal church, a oneness church right here. I mean, this is miraculous. I know it's a small place, but it's miraculous. And you know, all great things start small. And, and, and all of you have success stories, and these are marvelous success stories. And, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes they're not fully appreciated, and they're not fully recognized in the place where you're from. People just don't know. Now, maybe that says something about our communication. Maybe we don't, we don't use all the means and methods to communicate our stories in the right way. Uh, I don't know about that. That's maybe something to be discussed later. But there are great, great success stories of people. Who, well, if you can allow us to say this, I think you're heroes. I think you're tremendous, tremendously talented and dedicated people. And you're the people, really, that, uh, that will really, I think, set the historic pages on fire. And, and you know, Sister Mooney and I, have, we've kind of, uh, we've worked hard and we've labored hard. And we don't have anything to be ashamed of. But we're also aware that we've worked in the context of a present revival. Uh, that's our calling. That's what we do. But it will be very, very easy when the historians get to, to our lives just to say a, a, a paragraph at best. But you, those of you in this room, not so. People like the Roden Bushes and people like all of you that launched out to do what others said could not be done and then to pay the price and to stay with it and to stay with it and to stay with it until now we're starting to see a breakthrough, a crack in the wall and... God is filling people with the Holy Ghost. And what a great story in France. And what a great... Well, just everywhere we could talk about it. Now up in England and up in, in, uh, in Ireland and Scotland, God is sending revival. So let's just thank the Lord for what He's doing. I admire you very, very much.
Now, now I'm going to look at my watch. <laughs> All right. So uh, it's uh, well, I've got plenty of time. It's only three two thirty in the morning where I'm from. So let's pray that God will help us here. Lord, talk to us and help us to understand the things that are given to us through the spirit. Pray that you will give us faith and give us courage for this hour. Let us be what you'd have us to be in all things. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I, I, uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad this microphone is really tied down. I have a hard time standing in one spot, but I'll try. Um, I have, um, I have a sense that there is something that the Holy Ghost wants to do that we haven't really tapped into fully. That's just me. Uh, and that's a good thing. You know, um, I'm pulled by that. Are you ever pulled? Have you ever, uh, I know you have, of course, been outside and there's this fantastic sky at night. I mean, it's completely clean, clear, and you see this uh, array of, of cosmic jewels flashing at you. Have you ever, when you look at that, are you just pulled up by that? And you think, my goodness, what is out there? I mean, of course, all, not just modern people, but ancient people studied the sky and they were all intrigued by it because there is something about the cosmos. And I don't think you have to be ashamed of that. There's something that pulls you up. It says, my goodness. Uh, you may have heard me use this illustration, but it, 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 it just comes to my mind. I was, uh, uh, you know, all this Mars exploration were they uh, sending all these little probers and everything up there and they hope to find earth and they, I mean, life and they hope to find water and all that. And uh, when I was uh, reading uh, the Time magazine article, uh, I had, I, I read it and I was pretty disgusted when I read it because it, it, it challenged the idea of the basic concepts of theology because as far as the scientists are concerned, I don't know why they feel this way, because I don't know if finding water on Mars eliminates the idea of God. I don't think it does. Or even if they find skeletons on Mars, I don't think it eliminates the idea of God. As a matter of fact, it may explode the idea of Godness and so forth. But somehow they got this feeling that if they find life on Mars, that the, uh, the entire structure of Christianity will be destroyed. So I was reading that. And they, they don't say that directly, but they hint at that. You know, this is really going to rock and roll the world of theology. And, you know, because we've always said that the earth, of course, was the center of the universe. And this is the only place God ever created and so forth. Well, you know, I think the answer for that is, oh, we made a mistake about that. <clears throat> Maybe, you know. So we're not, how could we be right about everything? But anyway, I threw that on the floor. I threw that on the floor. And uh, by the way, could I just say something here? This is a digression, but forgive me. You cannot. Science is so pounded into the minds of young people today that you pretty much have to be open to science and to understand its role in the thinking of this generation or you're going to lose this generation because they're not going to just close up the books. They're not going to turn off the computers. It's just too much information available. So you have to I think you have to relate what you preach and say in relationship to all that, at least to some degree. But anyway, I came back to that Time magazine, and there it was, and that little, and that was the, a few couple years ago, and that Mars probe uh, picture, that Mars probe thing was on the cover, and I'm like, I got condemned because I was criticizing the scientist 
in my heart, I was criticizing the scientists for, uh, for launching out and trying to explore the natural world because I felt like their agenda was anti-God, anti-Bible or whatever. And the Holy Ghost seemed to say to me, what is wrong with going to Mars? What's wrong with exploring, exploring the universe? At least men are smart enough to look up there and say, wow, there's something up there. I think we'll go check it out. Let's, let's invent some kind of rocket. Let's invent some kind of contraption. And let's go up and check. While we're here talking today, there are men all over Europe, North America, and everywhere who are planning to go to Mars physically. Now, you can say, oh, this is a horrible thing. Or you can say, you know, these people are pretty smart because there it is. And they're going to go check it out. And here we are with an understanding that there is something in the Holy Ghost. There's something about the things of God that are so unexplored, that are so unknown by us. Not unknowable, but just unknown by us. No wonder Paul so cried out, oh, that I might know him. And it's this adventure, this sense of adventure that that needs to be in our heart. Not just, you know, say, well, the world has... A feeling of adventure. They want to explore new vices in this world. And they want to explore the cosmos. Well, what about us? Do you believe we've reached our full understanding of the impact and power and influence of the Holy Ghost? Do you think we've maximized? Do we know all there is to know? Or are we just on the surface? Are we just surfing? Are we just scratching at the very, uh, the, the very front of this thing? And I, I believe the latter. And there is so much more for us. In the Holy Ghost. So let's let's quit criticizing the scientists and all the people that are exploring this and that and other things and trying to figure out the human genome and whatever. You know, it's there. They're going to explore it. You can't stop it. Let's get into the Holy Ghost and find out all there is to know about it. Because look, look at this. If the apostles, is there anybody here who believes the Bible? If the apostles could lay their hands on the sick and they recovered... And if we're told specifically in this book that we should be able to do the works of Jesus and even greater works. And we relegate that to showbiz charismatics. But I, I, don't, I think we need to get out of that attitude and say, let's pray that God will give us. Not just, you know, I don't want us to emulate charismatics because I think most of that is just garbage. It's fundraising. But there are true miracles and true blessings and true anointings and true outpourings that God will give to his people. And maybe in the end, that's the only way we're going to survive in our part of the world. And probably it's the only way you're going to survive in this part of the world. There was a, uh, um, uh, a young newspaper reporter in London. His name is Dan, Danny Wallace. And I bought his book. Uh, I was in Philadelphia and saw the book in the bookstore. And I bought the book. And the title of the book was Follow Me. And there was, uh, there was uh, this boy was sitting around in a coffee shop, he and another boy. That, yeah, I say boy, they, actually he was a reporter for some London newspaper. And he decided to run an ad in the paper. And the, the ad said, I said follow me, but the ad said join me. You may have heard about this. And his name was Danny Wallace. And he put an ad in one of the London papers that said join me. And then gave a number. And the ad ran and ran and pretty soon... People started calling him up and said, uh, we'd like to join you. And, and they said, what are we joining? And he said, well, I don't know yet. And um, they joined him anyway. And so they started running more ads and they started putting it on the Internet. And pretty soon it was 
three people, and then it was uh, 50 people, and then it was 1,000 people, and then multiplied thousands. And first it was Europe, and then it was uh, uh, South America, and then it was North America and Canada. And today there are thousands and multiplied thousands of people that have joined Danny Wallace. And all he did was run a sign that said, join me. On the internet, in newspapers, just join me. As a matter of fact, at a certain point along the way, he said, I've got to figure out what we're going to do. And so he had a meeting with some of the people and thousands of them came and they had a big convention. He said, I realize that I am now the the leader of a cult and I've got to figure out something for my cult to do. And so they decided that they would commit random acts of kindness. And this you've heard about, I'm sure. Random acts of kindness. This is the rest of the story. This is where it came from. That's what they decided to do. And all they did was simply ask people to join them. Now, I wanted to experiment with this. And so I got me a sign at Calvary Tabernacle. And I put join me on the back. And I just held it up. That was my whole sermon. I was tempted to do it here today. But I figured it would be a bit trite. So anyway, I just held it up. And I held it up and held it up and held it up, walked around the platform, and finally, one person, then another person. I didn't say anything, just held up the sign. People could see the sign. A couple little kids came up and joined me, and other people started joining me. They didn't have a clue what I was going to ask them to do. Now, of course, you know, there were many people who were suspicious. There's some people who wouldn't join you for an ice cream social. Wouldn't matter what you said. But the power of that, the power of those words, join me. Let's get together. Let's do something. Now, look, there's something in the human psyche, inside the human mind that says, join me, that, that, that responds to this thing. Let's do something. Join me. Is this not the method that Jesus Christ used when he said, follow me? And did not the Apostle Paul say, follow me as I follow Christ? I mean, I think Danny Wallace is really on to something. Just the power of saying to people, we've got something we want you to do with us. Now, we all have enough sense to know that at some point, you've got to answer the fundamental question. What is it that we're going to do? And here's the difference between boys and men. Because people, though they may follow you initially, will not stay with you unless you have clearly enunciated what you want them to do. You've got to have a plan. You've got to have better than that. I don't think the plan is so important. You've got to have a message. You've got to know what you believe. There has to be some vitality. And vitality comes from conviction. Vitality doesn't come from uncertainty. You can't get people to follow you very long if you're uncertain as to what you believe and who you believe in. If you're a Christian, a born-again Christian, you've got to enunciate those ideas. Now, many people have commented on this, and it's, uh, it's quite an interesting discussion. But after the United States won, if we could say it this way, uh, not just the United States, but all the friends of, of democracy, and this is an oversimplification, but if we could say that they won the war against socialism and particularly against communism, if they won that war, one of the things that has happened since then is that they've not won the war of ideas. They've not really educated people to, to think in the right way. And we have the same conflict in Iraq right now. You can go in with guns and you can kill a lot of people, but it's the war of ideas that matter. 
Do you know why the apostolic movement, I would at least argue this point, that the apostolic movement took off with such vitality and vigor is because the idea that there was one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that there was a reason to return back to turn back to apostolic principles and apostolic doctrine and to fight the good fight of faith and get rid of this kind of uh, Trinitarian concept that was born out of human philosophy and compromise and go back to declaring Jesus as who he really is. That idea captured many, many people. The early people of this movement were highly intellectual people. They were smart people. Many of them had degrees from seminaries. They were committed people. They weren't just loosey-goosey people. They were people that saw that this tremendous revelation of the mighty God in Christ were people that they saw that this truth, this doctrine, this idea could revolutionize the world. This is a bad day to give up on that tremendous revelation. Put your hands together if you believe that. Thank God. As a matter of fact, I love preaching this message. It isn't our message, by the way. Did you know that? I read the other day uh, in some magazine or something about man invented fire. They used it in the context of a sentence. They said it's like it's something as exciting as the day when man invented fire. Now, when did man invent fire? Man never invented fire. Man observed fire. He saw it perhaps in the lightning or maybe in a lava flow somewhere. What man actually did was learn how to use fire and to to recreate fire, not to invent it. You didn't invent the church. You didn't invent the Holy Ghost. You You didn't think up this message. But if we will only take advantage of its life and its power and its anointing, I believe we can still turn the world upside down. How many love this apostolic way, this Holy Ghost message? Well, I'm really committed to this. And I think if, if Danny Wallace, Brother Rodenbush, could get people to just join him, just based on two words, join me. Imagine what the church, if we would, if we would just get re-inspired to say, look, we've got a message here. And we can, there needs to be an element of the church, perhaps, one could say. Am I boring you? There needs to be an element of the church, perhaps, that would say, uh... Let's let's figure out ways of just getting people to join us. You know, that contact, that initial contact. But then we've got to believe in something. Don't you think that's important? I don't want to give this up, do you? I, 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 let me, I love those little... Um, I have every Sunday... I, I think I could say, Mickey, every Sunday, some kid comes up and gives me a letter, a note, a picture. Every Sunday. I'm sure you have that same experience. Isn't that fun? And I've been collecting them for years. I'm, I, I keep thinking someday I'm going to put them in a book. And, and, uh, because it's just to be a nice, sweet thing to do. So I've got drawers of those letters going way back to uh, Muskegon, Michigan, when I first started pastoring. But uh, I, somebody put a list on the, um, on the Internet the other day. I, don't you hate that? Don't you hate people that forward stuff to you? I don't... Maybe hate was a little strong. You don't want to ever get in one of my dreams, I'll tell you that. You get shot up. You get shot up. You get in one of my dreams. You could lose your life in one of my dreams. I'm a survivor. I kind of love that dream. That dream helped me last night. Everyone, I'm dead, man. That's the way to go. 
myself, isn't your, isn't your, you know, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? You know, don't get pompous on me. I can't stand that. So I know how you people really think. But anyway, somebody that I love sent me one of these forward things. And I don't, I very seldom open them, but I opened this one for whatever reason. I knew the person sent it to me. It was a list of these like letters to the pastor. Uh, and, and this one I have never gotten, but I wished I had. I wish I could say this was my own, but it was on this list. And this little boy wrote his pastor and says, Dear Pastor, you need to pray for us. And you need to pray for our ball team because we have a big tournament game coming up next week. Something to this effect. And said, really pray for us because if you don't pray real hard, we're going to have to get a new, peach, peach, a new, a new pitcher. I blew the punchline. We're going to have to get a new pitcher. If the pastor doesn't pray, okay, I'm not going to explain this to you. If the pastor doesn't pray real hard, the little boy said, we're going to have to get a new pitcher. Is that right? So what I was going to say is if you don't pray real hard here today, you're going to have to get a new preacher for this conference. That's right. The Holy Ghost will help us. But anyway, I, I think there is a, there's something powerful in this thing about being energized. What I'm trying to, I guess I should have told you what I was going to talk about, but what I'm trying to talk about is that the, there's power in this message. This message has attraction. And, and, and the church world is really, is really pretty fed up with the nothingness of their, their whole belief system. There's no absolutes. There's, they just kind of bank, they're bankrupt. And they know that. And um, they don't know what to do. Some ladies came uh, over to Indianapolis from Manchester, uh, England. That's in the north of England, isn't it? Manchester, or is it Mansfield? What is it? Who can help me? Manchester. And uh, they were coming over for some kind of conviction. And they got in to the cab and they said, to the cab driver, said, we've heard about these Wild Pentecostal churches in America. This was their first trip. You've got to catch the content. Indianapolis is the first city that they've landed in ever in their lives in America. Which I don't know if that was a good choice, but that's just where the convention was at. And they said to the cab driver, said it was Sunday, and said, We heard about these Pentecostal wild, real, wild church. And he said, I know where one of those at right downtown, talking of our church. And the one lady said, no, no, we don't want to go. We want to go to one of those where they speak in tongues. He said, oh, this place is wild. So I don't think we're that wild, but apparently the cab driver did. So he brought these people. Long story. We ended up over the weekend baptizing one of the women in Jesus' name and set up a relationship. And it looks like we're going to be able now to go to Manchester and do a crusade there. Brother Rodenbush is working with us, and we certainly want to do this in cooperation with his uh, efforts there. But um, this is really exciting. But here's what Pastor Bob said, Pastor Bob in their church. Now, you know that only about 2% of the population of England goes to church. And Pastor Bob said, well, if he's going to come over here and preach, you need to tell him to come over here and be as wild and be as direct and be as Pentecostal as he dares to be because that's the only thing that's going to move this godless country. Now, here's a man who doesn't even have the Holy Ghost. He knows that it's only the Holy Spirit that's going to move this country. See, you don't, you don't gain vitality from draining off the conviction of this apostolic message. You gain vitality by saying, this is it. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And I'm not talking about being mean or nasty or hateful, but I'm talking about being convicted in your heart that this matters. And I believe people will follow us. But they'll not follow us 
I, I don't think they'll follow us into the same old, same old. They're coming out of that. And certainly anybody with any brains would not follow us in uh, some kind of repackaged version of charismaticism. God knows we've got enough of that. But we need the truth. We need the truth and the revelation of the truth and just preach it and tell it and say it the way it really is. And I believe that will attract so much, so much uh, more people. Well, uh, this thing is important to me. I, I want to direct your attention. I, I think you're supposed to read a text when you do a devotional. But Second uh, Chronicles, I'm going to go there for just a minute. I lived in Muskegon, Michigan for, uh, uh, I don't know, 22 years, pastored there. And uh, we had about 13 people when we went there filled with the Holy Ghost. It was a tough battle. And some of them didn't really have the Holy Ghost. It took us a while to figure that out. And uh, it was rough. That was a rough. Uh, uh, I, I should have been automatically ordained after six months, no questions asked. Just to survive there for six months was quite a thing. And people were not paying their tithe. It was an independent church at that time. I love this wonderful story from Muskegon, Michigan. I can only tell it when I'm in front of preachers. And uh, there was this... Um, I decided we were at about the sixth month. To tell you how bad it was, for six months, Sister Mooney was on the organ. And I would lead the songs. And I was the only one and clapped my hands. When we all get to... You ever been there? It's a little group of people just like here. When we all get to heaven, Mickey's on the organ. But I never gave up. Six months. I never quit. Just kept singing. And uh, so I decided that I was going to take up a building fund. We had this little church even had a board, which represented about 25 percent of the total population of the church. And they, of course, were all connected. But I didn't get permission to take up the. The, the building fund. We needed a building. The seats, the seats were all caved in. The floor was sagging like this, and and the ceiling tile was coming down. It was all water stained. I mean, it was like a no-brainer. We needed a better building. At least we needed to remodel. The old theater seats were so bad, and it had this kind of like some kind of plastic. It wasn't even plastic. Some kind of mole hair or something. And you would, when you would sit on it and sweat, and then when you get up, your shirt would be stuck. And we had visitors occasionally that would have on like a white shirt like Brother Enos has got on. And when they would stand up, there would be big black marks on the back of their shirt where they had pulled off some of the mohair. I know you think I'm making this up. This was a real deal. So uh, I thought, well, new building fund. You know, everybody go along, but I didn't run it past the board. And so they got real upset. And so they decided that that they weren't going to let me do it. And so they had uh, on the front row there. They came that night, three of them. They sat right on this side, just this close, this small church. How, how far is this church? Forty feet? It's not even forty feet, is it? This is about the exact same size our little church was. Eighteen by thirty-eight, I think it was. So they were right there. And uh, so I took up the offering, and they had their hands folded like this. And I promised them that we were going to take up 2,500. We miraculously got to 1,500. We were a 1,000 short. And that night we had one of the first visitors we had ever had. She was an elderly lady. And so the offering stalled and these people were just sitting there. And I said, folks, we've got to do this. $2,500. This is a real key offering. We can make it. And I gave my little lecture and speech. No one moved. You understand what I mean? I mean, we were like, it was as cold as you can imagine. And finally this one old lady stood up. And she stood up and she said, well, I want you to have that offering and reached down inside her and she couldn't get it out. And she went down and she got, 
And she pulled out $1,000 as sure as I'm standing here. She said, come and get it. And they came back, took her $1,000, and here is her exact words. She said, and I'll tell this congregation something else. There's more where that came from. Is that anything to be, is that anything to be worried about? Now, folks, that started a revival in our city. And am I right, Sister Mooney? That old lady, Sister Bernetta Moore, stayed with me, stayed with me. Every time we took up offerings, she would reach in and get that $1,000, $2,000. And not only that, she got to hearing that people were talking about me, that people were saying things about me. And so she came early to monitor the congregation. And if anybody said anything, she would go over and say, Now, you just shut your mouth because you're talking about that good boy, Brother Mooney. He's a good boy. And so forth. So you never know what God is going, how God is going to work. But I do believe in revival. But I believe we've got to stay strong in our convictions and keep, keep this thing really vital. Am I making sense at all? Because if I'm not, I'm going to quit now. But if I'm making a little sense, I'm going to finish up. Just a couple more little points here. In, in the Bible, there's this story. Uh, I'm not going to read it to you, but it's where the uh, King Ahab, uh, which was king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, in Second Chronicles, when they were in a battle with Syria. And you remember they, he wanted to go into battle, and so they put him in a chariot and disguised him. And somebody shoot, shot an arrow and, and got him. And so they did not want the people to know that he had been wounded in battle obvious for obvious reasons a negative impact of the king so they propped him up in he was near death he wasn't quite dead but they propped him up and he stayed in that chariot and fought throughout the day but he was wounded mortally wounded and the bible says when the sun went down that night he died so they had him propped up mortally wounded and he's the, the i forget exactly how the scripture says it but he set himself some way in the chariot so he wouldn't look wounded and, of course, the end of the battle was tragic. They lost. His, his, uh, it was an artificial, it was an artificial front. What had really happened was that the king was wounded. He didn't have the blessings of God. He didn't have the protection of God. He was mortally wounded. Now, here's what I worry about as we apostolics. If we let something strike at our hearts and strike at our minds and mortally wound us so that we're just kind of propped up. No one's going to follow that. At the end of the day, we'll die. Pretty soon the facade will be over. The game will be over. And, and if we don't really believe what we say we believe and if we're not really who we say we are in terms not only of the apostolic doctrine and oneness and all that, but also holiness and righteousness and sanctification and separation from the world, we don't really believe that stuff. At the end of the day, we will die. And who, who's going to follow death? Who's going to follow uncertainty? Who's going to follow a message that's lost its vitality? Some, at some point, you might be able to attract people with choirs and songs. You might be able to hold up signs and say, follow me, join me. And people will do that. And you can get all excited. But at some point, David Wallace had to realize, I've got to figure out something for these people to do. I've got to have something. You can't hold this group together without some kind of belief. And that's, that's my conviction. That's what I would say to you this day. Is we've got to really have this thing. You're the true heroes of Europe. Because if you can hold up 
and the and the and and think of this now this movement in that you're making into uh, uh, the Muslim countries and Islamic countries. Wow, that's that's pretty amazing. And I, I know it's 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 a difficult thing, but I think of the Williams there in Kazakhstan and that little effort. And and it it may not blossom immediately, but it will eventually blossom. We had a, a church up in Manistee, Michigan. I don't know if you've ever been in that part of the Michigan, but little guy went up there and he, uh, he worked hard. I mean, he really worked hard. He built a little church. And I can remember going up there the night we closed that church. He had won some people, baptized maybe 15 people over the course of many years. And some of them moved away. It was an economically deprived area and so forth. And so it was nothing to do. It was, couldn't pay the bills. The district had run out of finances and really run out of interest, to tell you the truth, in that city. We probably could have saved it, but there just wasn't any interest in so we went up and closed down the Manistee Church, and uh, that was it. But there was another man uh, who's still there. His name's Goodspeed. He's, he's, he's unorthodox, a little weird. I mean, you know, he's personality-wise. By the way, you don't pastor personalities. You pastor people. Personalities are different. God uses all different kinds of personality. But this guy was just, just what they needed in Manistee. He doesn't have a big church there, but he went in and started working but you know everybody that he baptized which started 10 and then 15 and then 20 and then 30 just kept growing baptized a lot of people people don't stay in manistee if you went there you wouldn't have too big of an impression of that church but what you may not realize is that people move out of that city by the hundreds it's just a little lake town and it's totally in the past it's locked into the time warp but good speeds uh, he's baptized a lot of people there over the years but you know who he baptized he baptized the families of the children of all of those people that we had worked with and finally closed down people that had contacted people that came to his church were the people that the other preacher had really won to the Lord and that not that the way the work of the Lord is and maybe your greatest efforts will not be realized while you're still here or still alive even but someday people will come in and I'm not trying to discourage you but who knows after your ministry, you feel like, well, I, I, it's, I've just done all I can do. And somebody comes in and reaps that harvest for one man sows and another man reaps. It's always been that way. But in this little town of Muskegon, Michigan, there was a right in the, I can't remember, uh, what was the name of it? Oh, it was Root, J.R. Root Memorial Park. Inside the J.R. Root Memorial Park, there was a fountain. Just it wasn't a very fancy thing, just a wrought iron fountain, maybe went up about this high and then had a big bowl on it and then it shot up. In 22 years, that was a very controversial thing. He had left some money and to build this thing and it got all tied up in court. 22 years, they never turned on that fountain. And it became a joke for our family. I, I'm sure for other families. We'd go back and if we didn't have anything else to do, I would kid my children. I said, let's go down and see if the fountain's on yet. And, you know, in Muskegon, there wasn't a lot to do. On Sunday night, we went to watch the bug zapper down at the Dairy Queen. I mean, that's a wonderful evening. You sat there with a, uh, uh, you know, chocolate sundae and the bug zapper. Bug zapper was a big deal in those days. It's just coming out, man. And uh, our kids loved it. They actually requested, so let's go watch the bug zapper. So we had, we had fun ways of, of dealing with things, but... We'd drive by and I'd say, let's go see if the fountain's on yet. And as far as I know to this day, I was in 
Muskegon. Now I've been gone for 17 years. I lived there 22 years, been gone for 17 years. I went through the city a summer or so ago, and the fountain still was not on. It's just all rusted. They've never turned on that fountain. Now, see, that's what I think is wrong with some of us. We have this fountain of Holy Ghost anointing and power. We never get that baby on. We never get fired up. We never explore it. We never get out there and do it. And we complain about how the world's going uh, wacko. But we have something in our hands that's so... In the hotel room, the little... uh, I ate both the bananas. You make some of the best bananas I've ever had in my life. And I want to say again to Brother Rodenbush, you um, see, I I like having the Rodenbushes in the family. But now I'm awkward because I want to say something that you're going to think is just, you know, family trash. But it really isn't. I I watch this man. Can I be perfectly candid? I mean, perfectly candid. I don't know of anyone on the Foreign Missions Board, really, and I don't mean this bad, who defends missionaries any stronger with any more boldness. I mean, just sit there sometimes, and it's like things just... I think he's asleep. He's working away, you know, and he's not paying attention. And uh, all of a sudden, there's an issue that strikes to the life and the, and the, and the means and the, all of that kind of stuff with missionaries. And you can be sure that Brother, Brother Rodenbush, he doesn't just talk. He stands up when he gets ready to say that. Which I think is kind of rude in a way, but I mean, he does it. He just like... And so I admire you for that. I really do. And it's a joy. Thank you for letting me come. I'm gone. Bye.